good morning. So glad you're with us this morning at South City. Before we get into our new series, into the message this morning, I want to just say a huge uh, thank you to my dear friend, Lawrence Hale, for bringing it last week. We love you. We affirm what God is doing in your heart. In fact, as Lawrence was preaching last week, uh, I started thinking not just about Lawrence, but several men in our congregation who are feeling called to ministry. Maybe they're already in ministry. They're feeling called to preach, called to teach, called to serve the Lord in, in, a, in a little added sort of a way uh, around his word. And so I'm excited to say over the next several months, we're going to showcase some of those men, and they're going to be teaching for us. And I want it to be an encouragement to them, but also want it to be an encouragement to us because God is doing something in our church. Something of depth, right? Um, COVID has been interesting, to say the least. COVID has been difficult. And we've seen a lot of our numbers change. But we've also seen our depth go a little deeper. And I think our people are becoming disciple makers, and I'm excited about that. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But I'm excited about this coming summer and some of these men teaching for us and us getting to pray over them and, and bless them. So Lawrence, you started that for us, brother. Thank you. Love you. And appreciate you. I want to kind of just bring us up to speed. I want us to kind of think about where we've been as a church. Because as elders, this has been at the forefront of our mind. We've been praying about these things. Last summer, you may remember, we finished a five-year study in the book of Acts. Remember that? The book of Acts talks about the expansion of God's word and mission all around the world. And so as a church, we're saying we want that. We want to be that. We want to do that. We want to be those people on mission with God to see this world reached for Jesus and for God's glory. So we, we finished that up last uh, September, nine months ago. We started uh, the Multiply series, which is about the church of Jesus owning the mission of Jesus, right? We're all on this great commission of Jesus. And what does it mean for us to get serious about our own discipleship, which means getting serious about being disciple makers, understanding what that means, learning how to teach people, show people the gospel, learning how to truly disciple people and walk life with them in such a way that they're growing in Jesus. At the end of the year, we went into this thing called triads. Now a little over five months later, we have over 30 triads around central Arkansas that people are meeting together every week between two to four people. They meet together, they pray, they soap scripture, which means just their, the scripture observation, application, and prayer. And they just they get together and they go deeper in the word. They're praying for people that they know that are lost. They're holding each other accountable for reaching out to those people. I mean, this is just a beautiful thing that we see God doing. We changed our service time, remember, from 10.30 to 9.30. Some of you go, yeah, I know, it's, it's still hard to get up. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. But listen, we feel like what we want to do and what we want to see is we want to give our best time to training disciple makers. The best time we have. And guess what? If you know Jesus as your Savior, you ought to be a disciple maker. God has not called his church to come to a building and, and just watch. He hasn't called us as the people of God to come to a building and just receive. Just to be status quo. Just to check off a list that you've been somewhere, that you heard something, you sang a song and you gave some money. That is not what God has called us to. He's called us to be the light of the world in a very dark place. And it's time that we do that. And there's no way to do that until we learn to be that. And so that is what our equip has been. 
learning to be disciple makers, learning to tell people about Jesus. And so I'm, I'm excited to say we still have 50 to 60 people gathering for equip. And it's just, been, it's just been a wonderful thing. We went through the book of Ephesians that talks about the fact that God has given the great privilege uh, to the church of making his manifold wisdom known to the world. That's our privilege. And so much of God's heart about his church and about our relationships and, and all that he wants to do in discipleship and it just was a wonderful series. So I'm thankful for that. But as we talk about our new series, Teach Us to Pray. Leslie already mentioned some of these things, but I just, I got to say, listen, over the last several weeks, three mass shootings, some racially charged, some just straight, pure, evil, innocent killing of children. We need to pray for those people. We need to pray for our country. We, we need to pray for the possible uh, undoing, if you will, of Roe versus Wade, that over, since that decision has been made, over 60 million babies have been murdered. We need to be a praying people about that. Praying that God would do something incredible to overturn this and save the lives of these innocent children. We need to be praying about the war in Ukraine and with Russia under this uh, evil man in charge in Russia. We need to be praying because it's obvious that we're living, I think, in the end times. I think we're living in, with signs of the times all around us. Whether it be the COVID pandemic, whether it be gender confusion or the fact that our country can't even define what a woman is. What is happening, right? We need to be serious about who we are in Christ. The fact that God has placed you in all of time right now for such a time as this. Who are we going to be? Are we going to just attend church? Are we going to be the warriors with the armor of God that he has called us to be? And it starts with prayer. May we be a people of prayer. Nine months ago, we started the Multiply series, and the very first message was praying about or teaching about the God of mission, that this is his mission, and we join him on this mission. So we pray, we seek him. Our elders got together a week or so ago, and, or a couple of weeks ago, I can't remember when we were talking about this, and I just said, guys, what, as we move into this next series, what are the things that you feel are on your heart? And we just sort of collectively came to this point of, of prayer we need to be praying and I've even found in my own heart if I'm really honest you know I, whether it be I, I struggle with numbers I struggle with this I struggle with that I keep finding myself just weary and going God I just want more of you I don't have answers necessarily to things or creativity enough to fix things I, so God I just come to you this is your church and this is your mission and we are your people and we just want to come and seek you. You have all that we need. And so as we talked about that, we agreed that, listen, this is, this is a time for us as a church to learn to pray. The disciples, we have a story in Luke 11 where the disciples come to Jesus and they say this phrase, would you teach us to pray? And I identify with those, those disciples. I love to pray. I enjoy praying. But there are times that I'm like, man, I wish I could have Jesus Teach me to pray. I would say the same thing. Would you teach me? Show me. What am I missing? How do I need to do this more? Right? All throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus going away from uh, the group, going on the mountaintop, mountainside, the wilderness, out in a boat in, in Sea of Galilee in different places, to be alone with the Father, to pray. So we need to take uh, lead from this and follow him. I love this, this quote from D.L. Moody. 
He says every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. Every great movement. Billy Graham says this, to get nations back on their feet, we must, we must first get down on our knees. This is what God is calling us to as his people. You know, there's a little bit of a kind of a funny thing between theologians. They think that this shouldn't be called the Lord's Prayer. We're going to discuss the Lord's Prayer over the next seven weeks. That's what we know it as. But many theologians think it ought to be called the Disciples' Prayer. It really makes sense because Jesus designed this prayer for disciples to pray. I mean, the Lord's Prayer really looks more like John 17. That was, that was really more of his heart, his prayer. But and can, try to wrap your brain around this with me, if you will. God of the universe incarnate, Jesus, helps his people know how to pray to him. Isn't that awesome? That the God of the universe said, hey, you want to talk to me? Do it like this. I'll, I'll give you an example. And he lays it out. Now, we're not going to get to that example today. We're going to try to bring ourselves up to the context of that example. Um, and so we're going to look just before uh, the Lord's Prayer and that's what we're going to study today. But uh, as we get in this, I just I want to ask us individually, I want to ask this very honestly and sincerely, how's your prayer life? What does prayer look like for you? Is it the um, obligatory prayer before a meal? That's about the extent of it, if that's even something you do. Is there an intentional time in your calendar where you say, I'm meeting with God? Is it important to you that you have access to the very throne room of God Almighty? That we take advantage of this unbelievable privilege. The veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom so that we might access God Almighty. Do we? Do we? What would our church look like? What would our marriages look like? What would our communities look like, our neighborhoods, our families? What, what would we look like if we truly were an intentional praying people? If it was so important to us that it became one of the most important things in all of life for us. Well, this morning I want us to get into this, but before Jesus teaches us how to pray, he wants to show us how not to pray, <laughs> okay? So this morning we're going to take a look at the wrong prayer. Not the right one. Look with me in your, in your word if you have it this morning. Matthew 6, starting at verse 5. We could have started at verse 1. So the chance, if you get a chance, go back and look at that, some even further context. But let's look at Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 5. It says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray with me this morning, would you? Father, we love you. What an unbelievable privilege that we have, even in this moment. That the God of all creation 
would lean toward us as we pray. Father, we approach you not in our worthiness, not in our righteousness, because it is filthy before you, but in the righteousness of Jesus alone, in the righteousness of the finished work of the cross. That's how we approach you today, God, as we pray. And we pray, Lord, that you would take your word and you would teach it to our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would lead us to all truth. Father, help us to hear you. Help us to understand that the condition and posture of our heart is where we start when it comes to prayer. The place where we pray is important. And even the words we use. God, bless this time, I pray. And help us to pray to you, Lord, to seek you in the way that you've outlined for us in your word. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Like I said, before we uh, really get into this, we have to kind of get a sense of context. You know, we're, I like teaching through, uh, through books of the Bible, verse by verse by verse. Um, we did that with Ephesians. We do it probably 65 or 70% of the year. That's the way we teach, and I, and I love that. Honestly, it's easier. It's not about me or my thoughts. It's just like, Lord, I'm just going to take what you've already laid out, and I'm just going to teach that piece. And as we felt led to get into this, this series on prayer, I just felt like let's, let's take this series of Jesus, this, this prayer of Jesus, that he's taught the disciples how to pray, and let's just break it down into a seven-week series where we really get serious about each of these specific points and ideas and really flesh that out. But as we look at this, if we look at Jesus' prayer here in Matthew 6, and you can look at it in, in Luke 11 as well, um, we have to get a sense of what's going on. Jesus is preaching probably the greatest sermon ever preached. It's a sermon on the mountain. The greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher to ever live. Jesus, right? And he, it's, it's mind-blowing message. It's a mind-blowing message. Jesus is trying to help the Jewish people, the people that are following him at that time. They're trying to say, listen, it, it's not just about doing things with the law. He's trying to help people internalize that following him is, it starts inside and goes outside. He used to say things about the, the Pharisees and the scribes. He would call them whitewashed tombs, which is a pretty bad insult, right? What he's saying is, you look like somebody's painted you brand new on the outside, but on the inside of your life, it's dead, it's stinking, it's rotten, it's dry bones. There's nothing of substance. And so this is who he's speaking of today as we even begin to look at some of this in verse 5. But this is the context that I want us to see. This is um, the Sermon on the Mount. He, he begins to say things about the law. He's ratcheting up uh, the understanding of the law. He says, listen, the law says if, uh, if you commit adultery against a woman, you know, that's, that's a sin in the law. He says, but I'm telling you, if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, then you've committed adultery. And every man and woman in the audience went, wait, that's me. So he says, the law says, if you kill someone, that, that's, that's, you're worthy of death. That, that's against the law. He says, but I tell you, if you even call your brother a fool in anger, you're guilty of murder. And every person in the audience goes, I'm guilty of murder. 
And the whole point Jesus is trying to make in the Sermon on the Mount is, you are not good enough. You can't live up to the law. And he had just told them in Matthew 5.20, just before this, he says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, the whitewashed tombs, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Don't you know in some, in some ways they were going, well, then how do we have any chance? These are our leaders. Look at, they're wearing this beautiful garb and, and they, they preach so beautifully and eloquently and they get everyone's attention. How do just a normal guy like me who's made mistakes, how do I have any chance to exceed their righteousness? How do you exceed anyone's righteousness? Because the Bible tells us in Romans 3 that every person has no righteousness. That our righteousness is filthy. There's no, no one person without sin. We all sin and fall short of God's glory. And so what Jesus is trying to show them here is he is our righteousness. That the only way for our righteousness to far exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees is that we know Jesus as our Savior. This is a revolutionary idea in this moment, in the Sermon on the Mount. This is him, under, him trying to help them understand, I have come. In fact, he says in verse 17, I've not come to do away with the law. I've come to fulfill the law. I've come to do the law for you. And so Jesus lives a perfect life, fulfills the law, doesn't do away with it, fulfills it. And then he dies a sinner's death on a cross as our propitiation, as our substitute. He gives his righteousness to me and you. Isn't that amazing? Incredible. There's no other way that our righteousness would exceed anything but unrighteousness and filthiness, except that we know Jesus as our Savior and he impute to us his righteousness over our lives. So Jesus is ushering this way of the kingdom in. This is his treatise on kingdom life. This is him saying, you don't get it all right now, but I'm going to say it, I'm going to teach it. It's, you're going to get it slowly, but surely, right? This is the new way of the kingdom. He's right in the middle of this revolutionary kingdom teaching, and he begins to talk about prayer. Right in the middle. One day we're going to cover the whole Sermon on the Mount, or maybe the whole book of Matthew. But for right now, I want us just to focus on this one section about prayer. Like I said, before we talk about this prayer specifically, we got to talk about how not to pray. And Jesus makes it clear uh, that it's not about a public performance, but about a private faith. Look with me in verse 5. It says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Now, the first thing you got to notice, he says, and when you pray. The reason he says this is because if you know Jesus as your Savior, prayer is not an option. Jesus doesn't say, if you pray, he doesn't say that, does he? He says, when you pray. This is an expectation of relationship with Jesus. If you know him, you speak to him. If you are his, you, you have conversations with him. It's important to your life. And he says, so when you pray, don't pray, or you must not be like the hypocrites. Now, the Greek word that, that, that is used for hypocrites means stage actor. I mean, talk about an insult. Don't pray like the stage actors, right? The guys with all the pretty outfits and the flowery words. Don't pray like these guys. 
No, that, that you, you can't do that. Don't be a hypocrite. He says, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, I want you to notice this is a very key word, love. They love to be seen. They love it. It's so important for them to be seen. They're getting some sort of need met, right? Some sort of sick identity need when others, uh, uh, with others' approval and others' attention. But Jesus says that's all the reward they get. Their prayers are not going to go any further than just above their heads. All the reward they get is just that now they've been seen. Whoop-de-doo. They love to be seen by others. And they also, they go to the busiest locations, right? The busiest locations were the synagogues and street corners. Where can we find the most people to hear me pray? Because I pray really well. I want everyone to hear it. Aren't I religious? Aren't I righteous? Wonderful. That was their heart. Jesus is saying to us as a church, don't be fake and don't love the wrong things. Don't be fake and don't love the wrong things. Let me ask you this. Is your faith a show? Because I can definitely tell you mine used to be. That's all I cared about. When I was their age, I cared about what I wore to church, how I sang, how I was perceived, how I would love to lead. But my heart was far from God. I wasn't concerned about obedience. I wasn't concerned about but following Jesus. I was concerned about people's approval. I wanted them to like me here. But then I wanted to do whatever I wanted to do everywhere else. I was a fake. I was a sham. I was a hypocrite. Is your faith a show or is it sincere? Who are you when no one is looking? Who are you on your phone when nobody's looking over your shoulder or on your television or in your mind? Because just as Jesus preaches, it's not just about what you do out here. It's who you are in here. That we be a sincere people and that we not love the wrong things. They were only concerned with themselves, loving man's approval over God's. But Jesus says to do this instead, instead in verse 6. He says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. The, the idea here is like a storeroom. You ever seen those grain cylinders? You ever notice any windows on those things? There's no windows on those deals, right? It's just closed off. That's the idea. When you go into your room, close it all off. No one can see in. It's just you and the Lord. Go to a secret place. When you, when you pray, again, it's expected when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward. Will, who, the Father who sees in secret will reward you. So here, here's what Jesus is trying to help us understand. What matters most about prayer? What matters most is that we pray with sincerity and in solitude. With sincerity and in solitude. You know, when you find a quiet place, maybe it's your bedroom, maybe it's your closet, uh, maybe it's your car. Different people have different places where they feel really closed off and they can just pray and spend time with the Lord. When you go to some place that nobody can see you, nobody can hear you, I want you to know that's a, pl that's a place of faith. You wouldn't go to those places and start saying something out loud if you didn't believe. If you did, you'd sort of be kind of crazy, wouldn't you? 
If you're just saying things out in the dark to nobody for no reason, you might want to go see somebody about that, right? But for those of us who know Jesus, we're having a conversation with a dear friend. For those of us who know the Lord, we're, we're communing with the God of the universe and expecting him to hear. I was praying this morning and just overwhelmed with the fact that God hears me. God hears us. And so when we go into this private place, it is an act of faith that we're there in the first place. And we say, Lord, I know you hear. I know you're there. I'm not alone. Hypocrites love attention. And so they try to get their value from other people and their approval. But followers of Jesus love God. Don't love the wrong things because here's the reality. When you love God, you know that your approval comes from him. I don't need your approval this morning. I love you. If I'm honest, I probably want it. But I don't want it over Jesus' approval. So I'm going to try my best to preach God's word to you no matter what it says. Because I don't, I don't, I'm not concerned about your approval, I'm concerned about God's. This is, this is how we live. Not worried about everybody thinking you're something. Trying to be impressive in some way. But being sincere and being willing to go to a place of faith and seek the Lord intentionally in prayer. Do you have a secret place? Do you have a private place? You need one. It's a place of faith. He says that, um, and the Father who sees in secret will reward you. What is the reward? I wonder what that is. I'll tell you what I think it is. I think it's the fact that you get to speak to the God of the universe. I think it's the fact that the God of the universe goes, he leans in and says, yeah, I already know, but tell me. Right? Yeah, I already know, but I want to hear it from you. The reward, Jesus says this, when you obey my commands, he says, then I want to show myself to you. Can you imagine? When we obey the Lord, when we love him with our lives, he begins to show himself to us. And we get in that secret place and all of a sudden God begins to open our minds to truth, the things of who we need to be, places in his word that we need to learn from where he speaks to us. The reward is Jesus himself. That is the reward. People who follow Jesus are more concerned that he sees them, not somebody else. That he hears them, not someone else. That their value comes from him alone. Where's your value come from? Kids, I want you to listen to this. Teenagers. Your value doesn't come from what people think of you. It comes from God alone. But here's the reality. Teenagers grow up. And then adults start going, yeah, but I need that car. I really need to live in that neighborhood. Ah, it'd be best if I made this much at my job. It'd be best if, you know what I mean? We start looking for people's approval in other ways and we don't see it because now we're adults and we didn't deal with a heart issue of sincerity and approval and value. God alone gives you value. Number one, just for who you are, created in his image. Don't search, don't seek, don't claw after the world's approval. This is the way Paul puts it in Galatians 1, verse 10. And I'll just give you context on this. You might remember the beginning of Galatians. Paul is scolding the community of Galatia. 
in the church of Galatia because they began to believe another gospel. Remember that? They begin to believe something that isn't true, that now they have to earn salvation. They have to be circumcised all of a sudden to know Jesus. And he said, no, that's another gospel. And this is what he says about man's approval. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul says, you got to choose. If you're going to be a servant of Christ, then serve Christ. If you're going to follow man and get their approval, then that's what you're going to do. But you can't do both. And the reality is, church, how long have we been trying to play both games? Too long. God, forgive us. Give us eyes focused on you and you alone for your approval, Lord Jesus. So the Lord says, it's, it's, it's not public performance, but private faith. And a little bit later, he's going to warn us with another warning. And he says, it's not about being prolific in your prayer. It's about being plain and simple. I love this. Look with me in verse 7 as we wrap up here. It says, and when you pray, again, expectation, prayer. Expectation, time with the Lord, right? And when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will uh, be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. First of all, he's talking about these Jews who dress up in this, all this garb. They're whitewashed tombs. They make a big deal of what they look like. They make a big deal of where they are, the busiest places, so that when they pray they, they, they can be heard and seen, because that's what they love and where they get their approval. Says that, don't do that. But then he points over here to Gentiles. Says, also don't pray like the Gentiles. And evidently there were some pagan religions that would have sort of, they would pray as well. But they would pray sort of a mumbling prayer. The Greek word here is batalageo. And that means literally empty phrases, empty talk, nonsense. There are different religions around the world that do this. If you've ever gone around the world very much, you've been around people who pray just nonsense. They're just mumbling. That's exactly what he's talking about here. There are some charismatic Christians. I believe they know the Lord, but I, I think they're mi missing some. And sometimes they just pray in a mumbling language, and it means nothing. And Jesus says, don't do that. That's, that's what false religions and Gentiles do. It means nothing. Some of your King James Bibles say, don't, don't pray with vain repetition. This is what he's saying. I don't know if you've ever been sleepy when you've been praying. I've been guilty of this. And there may be something on my heart that I want to pray about. And I start praying. And before I know it, I've prayed over that thing five or six times. I just keep, like a broken record. I just keep coming back to that. So, you know, we don't have to do that. That's usually because of my laziness. We don't have to do that. We can state it to the Lord. He already knows. The other day I was with my, uh, well, about six or seven months ago, with my triad and we were, we were doing our triad stuff, and a homeless man wandered into McDonald's where we were. And uh, we invited him over to come to be a part of our triad. And we were talking with him and said his name was Cody. And, and out of nowhere, Cody went into a prayer. And it was a Catholic prayer to Mary. And we just sat there and listened to his Catholic prayer. And it was, talk about impressive memorization. He had very, it was very impressive, his memorization. But sadly, he was praying to a dead human being. But he knew that prayer. 
then a little bit later, he went into another prayer. He went into two other prayers, very lengthy prayers, and prayed them, I assume, perfectly, because that's what it sounded like. And he was praying it fast, like just vain repetition, because he had memorized those prayers. And he prayed a prayer then to, to other saints. And the sad reality is Cody had prayed prayers to dead people, and his prayers didn't go anywhere, because we don't pray to dead people, we pray to God and God alone, Right? And yet we, 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 we make up these prayers and these things, and they do no good. Have you ever been a part of a service where you had the greatest hit prayer? You know what I'm talking about? Somebody gets called on for prayer, and you go, I can, I'm going to pray this with him. I'm going to pray this exact prayer with him, and it's going to sound amazing, right? And it's going to have these words. Listen, God does not care about the sound of your voice. He doesn't. Why do so many preachers pray one way and talk differently at the breakfast table? Drives me crazy. Why? We don't have to all of a sudden put on something and be something we're not. No, that's the very point. Be who you are. Be sincere. Speak today as I'm preaching like I'll speak to my family because this is who I am. Don't, don't pray with vain repetition. Don't mumble. It can be actually very simple. I, I want you to write these three words down if you, if you have something to write them down with. And I want you to think about these three words as we leave today. Jesus is saying that when it comes to prayer and when we approach him, when we approach the Father, we need to think about praying with sincerity, solitude, and simplicity. Sincerity, solitude, and simplicity. Don't try and impress people with your prayer. Impress God with your authenticity. Impress God with who you really are. Sometimes you need to come before God and say, God, I'm angry. I don't understand. I'm broken. Sometimes you need to come before God and you don't even have words to say and you just weep before a God who loves you and the Spirit says, I know exactly what you mean, Romans 8 says. I heard exactly what those tears just spoke. And I will reveal that before the Father, and I will pray for you. We need to be honest about our questions, our fears, our doubts. Why do we feel like we have to be formal when we come to God? And he's telling us, God in, in the flesh telling us, be yourself, be sincere. Do it in a quiet place of faith, and do it with simplicity. I love this story. We're going to close with this last story. I love the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. 1 Kings chapter 18. If you're unfamiliar with it, look at it a little bit later, but I'm going to kind of summarize it for you. Elijah is a prophet of God, and he's sort of been on the run. Uh, King Ahab, his wife Jezebel, they've been killing prophets. They, they want to do it with very evil, demonic, satanic uh, cults that they have. And one day God speaks to uh, Elijah, and he says to Elijah, go show yourself to Ahab. So Elijah obeys the Lord and goes to show himself to Ahab. And he says, I, I'm, I'm presenting with you basically a challenge. I want you to bring your 450 prophets of Baal, that was a demonic religion, and your 400 prophets of Asherah, maybe you've heard of the words Asherah poles, there's different little sects of demonic faith. He says, you bring all 850 prophets and meet me, I'll be by myself sort of, 
on top of Mount Carmel. Let's meet there. And they get there, and he says, what we're going to do is see whose God answers our prayer. And so the Bible says that the demonic prophets and priests, they, they, they take two bulls, and they, they carve up one bull, and they put it on their altar, and they pray from early in the morning until late in the afternoon. And it gets so comical to Elijah that he starts sort of getting sarcastic with them. It's, it's hilarious. He goes, hey, where's your God? I wonder why your God's not answering. This is weird, huh? He literally, this is, look it up. He says, did your God take a trip? You know, what? I got it. Maybe your God is relieving himself in the bathroom. This is what he says. Elijah is like, you know, he's sort of making fun of them. And it comes to a point where they finally stop and nothing has happened. And I, my point in this story is this. They prayed all day long. They began to cut themselves thinking that that would change but there is no God that stands next to our God, right? Elijah knows this. Our God is the one that told Elijah to do this very thing. Elijah knew, just as Jesus says, our, our Father knows what we need before we even ask. He knew. I timed myself. We're going to read this prayer of Elijah. I timed myself reading this prayer. It took me 24 seconds. Let's read it. 1 Kings eighteen thirty six. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. End of prayer. He didn't need to pray all day. He didn't need to have a bunch of fancy footwork or fancy words, right? He spoke plainly and clearly. And what happened? Look at the rest of it here. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering. By the way, he had set out this, this cut up bull on the altar. He had poured four large jars of water on top of the altar. He had dug a trench around the altar and filled it with water. Right? Again, Elijah's just up in the ante. Hey, watch this, guys. The fire that fell from the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones. That's, that's fire, right? And the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Our prayers don't have to be fancy or flowery or long. They just need to be sincere. Does it mean you can pray a long time? Sure. If you're praying, does it mean you can pray in public? Sure. But when we pray in public, we've already prayed today. But when we pray, let's pray from the sincerity of our hearts. Not in trying to impress you. Speaking one-on-one -on -one to God. And we need to pray. When we pray, we need to pray in solitude more than we pray in public. This is what Jesus is saying. Go to the private place. And I'll see you in secret and I'll reward you. And when you pray, pray with simplicity because I already know. What if we approach God like this? God, I know that you know I need a job. I know You know it already. So I, I'm thankful, God, that you're, you're going to provide for my family. I know you, you see this on my heart that I'm worried about this health issue. Thank you, God, that you're a healing God no matter what happens. Do you see a difference in how we pray? It's a prayer of faith. It's a prayer of knowing God hears us. And he knows us. You know, I think about this. Sometimes Lori 
comes to me, and she's holding her phone, and her glasses are down like this, really cute, super cute. And she's holding her phone, and she's seen a story on Facebook. And she's like, oh, oh, oh my gosh, have you seen, and I'll stop her and go, you know, I'll tell her the story about whoever it's about, because I've already seen it. And then she goes, oh, yeah, okay. And she doesn't continue to tell me the story. She doesn't continue to, to belabor the point or be so redundant that I need to hear because I already know it. That's the same thing with God. He sees your life. He loves you. He is waiting for you to spend time with him, but he already knows. Your father who sees you and rewards you in secret, he knows. He knows. He knows. And so when we approach him, we can approach him simplistically, sincerely. I'm thankful for what Jesus teaches a little bit later in this revolutionary message. In Matthew 6, verse 31, he says, Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? That's what Gentiles, pagans do. They seek after those things. He says, your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Can I confess to you, I focus on the things often more than I do the Lord. I want to just challenge us as a church, can I? Let's begin to focus on the giver of these things. On his righteousness, on his goodness, his love for us. Let's become a praying people. Intentionally praying with sincere hearts in quiet places of faith, knowing he's listening. And let's be simple. Let's be direct with our prayer. Let's honor him in that way, can we? God wants us to be sincere in solitude with simplicity. I pray that, that as you leave today, you think about that. But I pray that when you pray, this is what it looks like, right? Because this is not a non-negotiable for a believer in Jesus. Some of us need to put an alarm in our phone. For a time that we, we have around, maybe it's at home, maybe it's a break at work, maybe it's all the above. We're going to take a look at the early church and how the early church used the Lord's Prayer throughout the day. The Lord's Prayer in baptism and communion. I mean, they used it in so many ways. And we're going to take a look at that as we get further into this series. But may we be a people of prayer, right? In fact, over this series, I'm challenging Kim and Daryl and all of our team, Leslie, as, you, as they're planning songs, as they're designing services, there's going to be some times of extended prayer, okay? And your flesh is going to go, oh, how long are we? Push through that. Push through that. Somebody once said, you're not praying until you begin to pray. Right? When, when you start praying, you haven't even begun to pray until you pray. Like In other words, just keep pushing through those obstacles. Keep pushing through that flesh. Keep pushing through those things that cause you to, to be distracted. And seek the Father. But do it with a sincere heart. Pray with me this morning. Father, we love you. God, I pray that you, we leave here today with an understanding of what an unbelievable privilege we have. That it was no small thing that a curtain that was nine inches thick ripped from top to bottom to signify and symbolize our access to you. Your word says we can come boldly to your throne of grace. 
And it's by your grace it would be the only way we could come. Through the blood of Jesus. It's the very reason we say in Jesus' name is, is so that we can come to this throne of grace in grace by the grace of Jesus. So Lord, I pray that even now you would just burden our hearts with a desire to spend time with you. Lord, I have all kinds of dreams about our church. I have all kinds of hopes for our people. I lay them out before you every single day. But I don't know if there's one greater than that we would be a praying people. That we would seek you above all things in our lives. That we would be connected to you in our souls, Lord. That we would watch where you're working and join you, Lord. That you would tell us what you're doing, Father, just as you told Jesus. God, our heart is that we would know you and love you and spend time with you. Change us, Father God, to be a praying people. May it come from our true hearts. May it be honest. May it be authentic. May we have the faith to intentionally go away to the private place, to the secret place, the place of faith where we seek you in secret and enjoy the reward of your presence. And Lord, help us to know that you already know what we're facing. You already know what we're going through. And so as we, pre we pray to you, we pray with an understanding that you are good and you love and you already know what we're going to pray about. We love you, Father. I pray for this series. I pray, God, that not only would we memorize this text and this prayer, but that it would be a model for us as we seek your kingdom come in our lives, in our church, in our community. And we pray it in Jesus' precious and perfect name. Amen.